Okay, we started last time in chapter 8 of Exodus. We are in the midst of the confrontation between Moses with Moses and Aaron versus Pharaoh. And of course, Moses and Aaron are there at the behest of the Lord to implore Pharaoh to let God's people go. And the Lord, seeing the hardness of the heart of Pharaoh, Pharaoh has already declared, who's the Lord that I should pay attention to him? And so the Lord now is, is working in the midst of Pharaoh's obstinance to demonstrate his power, his might, his glory. And he's going to use the situation of Pharaoh's refusal to obey God as a way of communicating to God's people, to Moses and Aaron, to Pharaoh himself, and to the Egyptian people, and to peoples who will know about the Jewish people for hundreds of years into the future. You'll see peoples that they encounter in the land of Canaan who still know of the stories of God's providential hand behind, around, ahead of his people, delivering them from one of the greatest powers on the earth. And we saw last time as we entered chapter 8, the second plague, the plague of frogs. Uh, I, just, I just love that one. I don't know. There's just something about overwhelming people with, with piles of frogs that, uh, that just, it's just so genius. But there's actually a, a, a symbolic meaning to it because one of the Egyptian group of gods and goddesses that they, that they worshipped is the, is the goddess Heket. And Heket was the, the goddess of, of birth and fertility. And so the Lord is kind of saying, oh, so you want to worship frog lady, huh? Well, here, here's frogs in your kneading bowls. Here's frogs in your ovens, in your beds, uh, in, everywhere you can look. And this becomes something that is, that is obviously uh, a major hindrance to life, shall we say? Uh, for those that were visiting from France, they were probably happy to have all those frog legs. But for most people, it was a horrible thing. Interesting that the, the magicians of Pharaoh, uh, in, in trying to stay up with what Moses and Aaron were bringing as plagues and demonstrating to Pharaoh, well, that's not so great. We can do that too. Guess what? They were able to also bring forth frogs. But you'll see that in every case where they were able to replicate the... the, uh, the, the uh, plague that God was giving Aaron to perform and Moses to perform, all they could do was make the plague worse. They couldn't actually take it away. And so ultimately Pharaoh says, please uh, take, the, take the frogs away and I will capitulate to the Lord's will, which we know then uh, he doesn't do. And so then the next plague that comes, the third plague is lice. Now, as I mentioned last time, the plagues are kind of grouped in groupings of three. And in each grouping of three, the first two plagues come with a warning. Hey, uh, Pharaoh, if the Lord is saying, let my people go, and if you don't, we're going to bury you in frogs. But when it came to lice, as the third of that first grouping of plagues, there was no warning. There was no Pharaoh, let my people go. It just, they just came. And of course, when the, virtually the dust of the earth turns into lice and they're now all crawling all over the place and all over people. Um, this, this has the effect of defiling the worship 
of the Egyptians according to the way in which they approached their gods because the Egyptians were actually pretty scrupulous about their hygiene and about ritual cleansing. And if you've got lice crawling all over you, why that's going to hinder your, um, your ability to worship your gods. And this becomes a plague that the magicians of Pharaoh cannot replicate. Um, they, they, they try, they fail, and it's interesting that when they were unable to replicate the plague, in verse 19 of chapter 8, we read there that then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. So now the magicians, who are the ones that Pharaoh looks to for his kind of spiritual guidance, and he had had some confidence in them because they'd been able to track with Moses and Aaron and the things that uh, Moses and Aaron were bringing upon the people of Egypt. Now all of a sudden they're saying, well, we can't do that one. And they say, this is the finger of God. Not the finger of the gods, but the finger of God. So the clear association is the God of, of the Jewish people, the God that Moses is there to represent. And so that's where we left it off last time. And so now as we roll into verse 20, we're looking at the fourth plague of the 10 that ultimately will come. And this is the plague of flies. So we read there in verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. Apparently Pharaoh had a practice of bathing every morning in the river. And uh, you can imagine that as he's coming out of the river and he sees Moses standing there, he's like, oh no, not again. And uh, then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Now, when he says that, that last part about so that you'll know that I am the Lord, this is really what the whole thing is about. Because clearly the Lord could have brought the trump card onto the table right at the get-go, right at the front of this whole uh, exchange between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. But he is using this obstinance of Pharaoh to continually roll out his glory, his power, his majesty, and his might. And just as a brief editorial aside, I believe, I believe that's what he's doing in our nation right now. What we see in our news cycles seems to be rolling thunder. I mean, it seems to be one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. Things that we have seen in the last three years Ten years ago, if someone said, these are the things that you're going to see, we would have had a hard time believing it. And I believe that, that again, I would never presume to speak for God unless, I, unless I'm sure that the Lord has spoken to me about something that I need to communicate to others. But as you look at the situation our country is in, a country that was founded on Judeo-Christian foundations, a, a one nation under God, uh, a nation that has brought the gospel to more people than any other nation that ever has. Um, 
And now we're seeing things that are happening in our schools, in our universities, in our government that fly in the face of the things that we have held dear for 270 years. And you don't think that the Lord is going to just sit back and let that roll? Uh, he's going to give us a lot of reminders about the fact that he is sovereign. God, the Bible says, God will not be mocked. And some of the things that we're seeing that are happening to our nation, I mean, we talked a lot about this in that conference that we were at last week. And, and I have to say that some of the things we see there are not unlike this and that the Lord is going to show the world in unmistakable ways where the power lies. And that might mean that this great nation of ours crumbles from within. And typically, if you look at the great powers of the world, Egypt included, they always weaken from within. And at the point in time where they became feeble and decrepit from within, that's when the enemies from without seize the opportunity to finish the job. And, and I don't like to be a doomsayer. I'm an optimistic person. But I'm also somebody that's paying attention. And I could tell you that the things that are going on in our, inside our government, are, they don't escape the notice of our enemies. Our enemies are, are, are looking for ways to exploit these things. And of course, now with the power of the internet, it's, it's, it's something that's very much within their reach. And so the Lord is very excellent at accomplishing his purposes by, by literally directing and allowing the evil intents of human beings to play out, to shape the world to the ultimate objective that the Lord is trying to achieve. In this case, by the time the Lord is done with 10 plagues, the Egyptians are so happy to see these people go that they shower them with wealth not just from Pharaoh's coffers, but the individual wealth of the people of the land is showered upon their Jewish neighbors. And if you, as we go through these plagues, pay careful attention, the ones we're going to see coming up in chapter 8 and 9. These aren't just things that, that chap Pharaoh and hurt his ego. These are things that are going to really, really hurt the Egyptian people, hurt their means of production, hurt their comfort in their homes, remove their ability to support themselves, to eat off the land, to even have personal hygiene and health. And these are all brought upon them so that they might know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 patriarchs, Moses, Aaron, is the true and the living God. And so... This is what, as, as the Lord is preparing Moses to bring to Pharaoh this message about the flies, he says, look, flies are going to be everywhere in Egypt, but in the land where my people dwell, there will be none in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people, he says in verse 23. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarm of flies. Now, um, this, this uh, plague of flies, when you look in Psalm 78, uh, 
it refers to this plague of flies and it says that these these swarms devoured them devoured the people and there are some who interpret that as to say that when it refers to these swarms they weren't just household flies that that are annoying but they they don't bite they don't you know they don't do anything that that hurts you physically but it's it's believed that maybe these swarms included all kinds of insects that were biting stinging kinds of insects that you wouldn't want to be around for even five seconds and um and this is this is a classic case of pharaoh who we have to believe was a very knowledgeable man he has access to the greatest sources of of written down information that the world knew at that time he had a lot of knowledge but you know what he lacked he lacked wisdom because Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You might say, well, yeah, but he wasn't Jewish. He was, he was Egyptian, so how would he understand the Lord? Well, you know, we're on our fourth fl- plague here. Um, the Lord has called each shot in turn. The Lord has given him ample opportunity to see the hand of the Lord that is backing up the word of the Lord and he's ignoring it now. And so, of course, uh, the, and then, of course, the Lord knows each time when he makes a promise, okay, 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 enough, remove the plague, I'll, I'll agree to let the people go. And then, of course, he doesn't. Well, Psalm 139.2 tells us, you know my sitting down and my rising up, you understand my thought from afar off. There's no way that we can lawyer, outlawyer God. There's no way that we can uh, pull the curtain down over his eyes and, and, and say something that we don't mean. The one person that you can have a conversation with that is totally transparent from your side is God. I don't know about you, but that's, that's the way I enjoy prayer time with God more than anything. I think I think sometimes people's minds concerning prayer has been has been corrupted by listening to too many of these people, you know, with these sanctimonious prayers in old English, um, praying to God in ways that uh, nobody really would talk to even your neighbor at. And you don't have to do that. You can be, uh, I mean, people go and spend thousands and thousands of dollars to go and sit in front of a therapist and tell them their deepest, darkest secrets, uh, pay the guy a fortune. He doesn't really give you any advice that changes anything, but you feel good because someone listened. Well, goodness gracious, you can do all that with the Lord and he can help you through situations. He can change you in ways no psychotherapist can do. So, you know, there's no fooling God. Uh, And of course, here we go. That um, uh, the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarm of flies Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go, sacrifice to your God in the land. Now, when he says in the land, he means in Egypt. You know, you can go sacrifice to your gods, just don't leave home. And Moses said, it's not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? Uh, you know, actually, it took a little chutzpah on Moses' part to make that point, by the way, because he's basically telling <laughs> the leader of Egypt, uh, for us to do this in your country would be an abomination because as we consider you Egyptians versus us, the people of God, uh, you're not clean. We couldn't do this here. Why? My God's people would stone me to death for even suggesting it. 
And you know something? This was Moses trying, or I'm sorry, this was Pharaoh trying to make a compromise. He was trying to bargain a little bit with Moses. And I have the clear impression that Moses probably would have been willing to bargain at the front end of all this. But not only has Pharaoh now seen four plagues that have come about exactly the way God said they would, Moses and Aaron have seen them too. And these men are being transformed as they are in the midst of the service God has called them to. They are seeing the mighty hand of God. And now they have total confidence. Hey, God's in control. I'm not taking a half a loaf here. I'm not going to sacrifice to the Lord in a defiled land. And I might just add that when we, whenever we serve, however, I, I could say this. It was a wonderful morning a week ago Saturday when we were all out there in front of Planned Parenthood, wasn't it? And for those of you who were there, you know, meeting up in the parking lot, we, get, we got all prayed up. It was amazing how uh, the sun was shining when we left the house. When we got to the parking lot and we're waiting for everyone to gather, we saw clouds on the horizon. As we're gathering to pray, the clouds are coming over the top of us. As soon as we're done praying, the drops start falling. When we get in front of Planned Parenthood, it's pouring rain. We're under our umbrellas. We are unmoved. I pulled out my little guitar. <laughs> we sang worship songs. We prayed there, raining all the time. And as soon as we finished, the rain stopped. Now, you could look at it a number of different ways. I love the way my wife characterized it. She said, this rain, these are the tears of God for what's going on in that horrible place. Or you could say, it was the enemy trying to drive us out. Either way, it's a pretty cool experience, wasn't it? And, and when you get in the midst of serving the Lord, it builds your confidence in his power, his might, his majesty, his plan. And you're just so happy to be there. It's transformational. Moses and Aaron are being transformed here. Moses is being shaped to be the leader that he'll have to be to take the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. And it's because of the faithfulness to just, just take the first step. Just go. You got a lot of consternation and concern. Too bad. Just go. God Almighty has told you, go. So you go. And as you start to see the Lord work, it just fills you with this confidence. And so Moses is not, will <laughs> Moses is not willing to take uh, Pharaoh's um, suggestion. Um, verse 27, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. Here's Moses now giving an order back to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Ooh, intercede for me. Why, that would presume that there's someone that needs to be, to, that, that needs to be implored on Pharaoh's behalf. So now all of a sudden, Pharaoh is starting to acknowledge something that he didn't acknowledge back in chapter 5 when he said, who's the Lord that I need to pay attention to him? Now all of a sudden, not only does, does he understand that there is a Lord, but he needs intercession. He needs Moses to intermediate between him and God. Now, you'd say, yeah, but if that were really true, um, why does he renege on the promise? Well, that's, a that's the mystery of iniquity at work. It's amazing how when we harden ourselves to sin, sin has this accretive 
quality to it, doesn't it? It piles on, on top of itself. It's like, you know, those stalactites and stalagmites you'd see in, in your, uh, you know, high school geography and um, earth science classes. And you'd see how these, these limestone caves would have these, they look like great big tooth, teeth coming from the ceiling. Well, that happens because water that's carrying, you know, limestone is, is dripping down and, and that limestone is starting to calcify and, and harden and, and then more falls on that and hardens on that and hardens on that and hardens on that. And you get these structures. Uh, sin works the same way that, um, you know, if we harden ourselves to sin, more sin will pile on top of that and stick. And so we could, we could literally find ourselves understanding perfectly the will of God in a situation and going against it anyway. And so here's Pharaoh. On the one side of his mouth, he's asking Moses to intercede for him. I will let you go that you may sacrifice your, to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far. Then Moses said, indeed, I'm going out from you and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore and not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. Now, to imagine that you could ask Moses to go to the Lord and please entreat the Lord to get rid of all these bloody insects. And you could imagine that maybe they start to lessen, maybe they start to abate, maybe they, start, they stop being so uh, oppressive. But that's not what we're reading here. What we're reading here is the next day, there was not one that remained. And it happened exactly as Moses said it would. I mean, wouldn't that be pretty convincing? And yet we read verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. So this becomes uh, a pattern here. And Far from the Lord getting openly frustrated with that, the Lord is using it. He's using every single bit of it. Because we now roll into uh, chapter 9 and the fifth plague. We see there in verse uh, 1 of chapter 9 that then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of, <clears throat> of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. Now, this is a point I was making a few minutes ago, that these plagues are not just something that, that is a poke in the eye of Pharaoh. These things, if you just look at this one here on the livestock, what's being described there in verse 3? Cattle of the field, horses, donkeys, camel, oxen, sheep. To put it in modern uh, parlance, this would be a curse on our interstate trucking. It would be uh, disabling all of the motor vehicles that 
we have, all of the rail system that we have, it would pretty much remove a huge segment of the, uh, the food supply. It would remove the personal wealth of just about everybody in the country in one fell swoop. Because livestock in those days, it was transportation. They were beasts of burden, so it would, it would affect their productivity. It was a source of food. It was a source of clothing. It was what you would use to pay a dowry if you were going to get married. And in one fell swoop, these things are going to be decimated throughout the country. And the Lord will make a difference, verse 4, between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. This, this, the, the enormity of this particular plague is hard to overstate. Verse 5, then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died. I mean, ponder that statement. All the livestock of Egypt. Egypt was a very prosperous, quite large nation. All the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Again, this is, um, this, is, this is hard to imagine, that someone could be so obstinate against the Lord that he would allow others to suffer. This is, this is the sin of pride of Pharaoh. And it's causing immense suffering to others. And this is very often the way sin of pride in ourselves affects the people in our lives. When, when we have overweening pride about anything, it could be about status, position, money, you name it. it ultimately, there's collateral damage. And very often, it affects our families. I mean, you look at King David, for example. Uh, it was pride that caused David to spy a beautiful woman and take her to himself, even though she belonged to another man. It was pride that caused David to be desperate that the news would not get out. It was pride that caused David to kill a, a soldier in his army who happened to be the husband of that woman simply because he did not want his reputation to be stained by what was about to go down. And ultimately, when the Lord, we talked about this last night in men's, men's uh, Bible study, ultimately, when the Lord convicted him through the prophet Nathan, David immediately saw the pieces to the puzzle come together. He wrote in Psalm 51, verse 4, against you. He's speaking to God against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David understood that, look, I'm, I'm hurting all these other people, but in the final analysis, as a man of God, I am being so unfaithful to God. I am being so egregious to God. I am, I am taking liberties with the blessings he has brought on my life, and I have hurt others as a result. And here's Pharaoh basically decimating his language, or his, his people, rather, 
and, um, and it's going to affect them for quite a while to come. Now, as we've seen with some of these other uh, plagues, the Lord is, is using the plague symbolically to show his, his superiority over the imagined gods of the Egyptians. And, and there was a, a, a goddess of, um, of the Egyptian pantheon of gods known as Hathor, uh, who appeared to them. She was depicted by them as a cow or as a woman with a cow's head. And she was kind of the, the mother goddess of their group of gods and goddesses. And um, the Egyptians, kind of like the Indians, they, they uh, venerated cows and cattle. And they were considered a symbol of fertility. And now here is the Lord, and he's bringing a plague, a blight, on all of the cattle of the nation. And, uh, and of course, God is doing this to the Egyptians while he is preserving his people. And this is something that's even spoken of in, in Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, as all these terrible um, judgments are coming upon the earth. But we read there, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So the Lord, is, the Lord in Revelation is saying, okay, I need to take care of those who are mine. And of course, the Lord has selected 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are going to be critical to his plan during the tribulation. And the Lord is going to preserve the land from any, any plagues or, or decimation uh, until those individuals are selected. The, the Lord takes care of his own. Even in the midst of, of a widespread catastrophe, the Lord takes care of his own. But um, we read, we read on, verse 6, So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But, Pharaoh, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Now, I might just remind you, because we looked at this last time. After some of these plagues, we read that Pharaoh hardened his heart, like we read just here. Other times, we read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so the question arises, well, who's doing it? Who, whose fault is, or whose, whose initiative is this to harden Pharaoh's heart? We could, we could feel um, somewhat okay with the Lord bringing these plagues upon, upon Pharaoh, who hardened his heart. But when we read that the Lord hardened his heart, there's at least a little twinge in our, in, in our receiving that news like, well, gosh, if the Lord is hardening his heart so that he won't obey and then punishing him for not obeying, there seems to be some injustice there. But I think I've explained this uh, last time that actually the, it would never be the case where in Pharaoh's heart, he really wants to comply with the command of the Lord. But because of the intervention of the Lord to harden his heart, he can't. That would never happen. When we read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Another way to understand that is the Lord gave him over to that which he wanted to do. When people are willing to repeatedly reject the offer of God for mercy and grace, there comes a point in time, uh, Art, I did listen to your thing and that was your point in your, in your podcast a little bit, is that it, a, a person can get to a point where they've rejected, rejected, rejected the offer of the Lord 
um, to a point where the Lord is going to harden their heart. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, I didn't plan to go here, but I'm going to go here just because you know these verses well, so I don't need to do uh, a great exposition of them. But Romans chapter 1, um, the Lord describes this process. The terminology is different, but the effect is the same. It is giving one over. Verse 21, Romans chapter 1. Because although they knew God, and we could say because Pharaoh knew God, but he did not glorify him as God, neither was he thankful, but became futile in his thoughts and in his, fool, his foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, Pharaoh became a fool and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into images made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things like frogs and cows and flies. <laughs> Therefore, verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. God gave them up. Were they desperate to want to be people of God? No. They knew who God was. They saw his invisible attributes, which are plainly seen in the things that are made. And yet they rejected, rejected, and rejected. God said, okay, have it your way. And of course, then we see, if you carry on in the chapter, you see the way that perverts, corrupts, and destroys the order that God has given to humanity. We are living it right now. You know, we had somebody in that conference, at least one, that we were told about afterwards uh, when Ken and I and Michelle were in, in the little room there having a, a prayer time, and one of the organizers of the conference came in and said that, that uh, this was Saturday morning, so the previous night, uh, when in Ken's presentation, but also in mine, I was talking about the apostasy of the church and some of the manifestations of it. And I mentioned this, this opening of the tent, you know, come as you are, stay as you are thing. And he had some things in his presentation that were very poignant about the whole gay agenda, the trans agenda and, and so forth. And, um, and somebody left, they got up and left and they spoke to the organizers that were outside the hall there uh, and complained that um, this was very unloving, unkind, um, something to that effect. Um, and nothing, I, I didn't hear anything from him, and I know I didn't share anything in a way that was, that was overtly negative. It was factual. It's like, this is happening. Why are we pointing this out? Well, because if you kept reading in chapter one of Romans, what you find is the giving over of human beings who are knowingly rejecting the manifestations we see all around us of the existence of God then we are given over, which means we now divorce ourselves from the order that God has created. And that order is very complex, but it's also very simple and foundational. In the beginning, he created the man and woman. A man will leave his, his parents and cleave to his wife, who is a woman. And this is the way God has designed the basic unit of society. And under that particular model, you know, on that foundation, he built the church and and. You know, there's a, there, there's a very deliberate um, structure to the society that God has created. And when people are willing to reject all that, all manner of perversion comes into, into existence. It used to be things that were said and done in, in dark and quiet places, but now they're saying the quiet part out loud. Bud Light Beer now has as its, as its spokesperson a trans woman. They put that on a beer can? Beer? 
Don't they understand their market? <laughs> you know? I guarantee you there's no good old boys in the South drinking Bud Light today. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's unbelievable. But this is, this is what it means when God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. He's le- he is not showing Pharaoh the mercy to allow him the opportunity to see the light of the truth in the midst of his obstinance. Because that's where we all came from. I know that's where I came from. I was obstinate. I was resisting. I was pushing back. But the, the Lord showed me mercy. He gave me time. Because ultimately he knew that my heart was open. My mind was open. To say, okay, I don't believe this now. But, but let me hear. Let me see more. And so the Lord gave me time. He gave me mercy. But for those who are unwilling... He hardens their heart. So we come on to the sixth plague. This one being the third in the sequence of three. There's no warning. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it towards the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. Now, I'm sorry, I'm an NBA basketball fan. And, uh, and there's, there's, a, there's a little ritual that LeBron James, the great player of our day, he does before every, every game. Uh, they always have a little bit of chalk in a little dish uh, near the scores table because players want, you know, want to have good grip on the ball and all that. So a lot of them will just take a little bit of that chalk, rub it on their hands. But he always grabs two handfuls of it and throws it up in the air. It's kind of his thing. That's what I thought about when, when I, I see the instruction to Moses to scatter it towards the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward the heaven. Now, it's interesting. He goes before Pharaoh, but he doesn't say a word. Pharaoh's used to him coming up and saying, okay, Pharaoh, uh, as you're drying yourself off from your bath, uh, let my people go and, and here's what's coming next. Doesn't do that this time. Pharaoh's there. Moses walks up. He's got two handfuls of ashes. Tosses them up in the air. Pharaoh's thinking, oh no, this can't be good. And he tosses them up and, and uh, scatter them towards the heavens. And they caused boils that broke out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. By the way, we don't have time to do this now. But a lot of these particular plagues map pretty almost one-to-one on a lot of the judgments of Revelation. Uh, I'll pull together a list for you next time, but, but uh, now not, you don't even have time to lament that all your cattle are dead because you're too busy itching and scratching. The magicians couldn't even come before Pharaoh because they were so uh, burdened by these. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be de- declared in all the earth. Wow, he's, 
He's giving Pharaoh a little bit of commentary on why Pharaoh is even allowed to live. Pharaoh is a foil for God. He is somebody, he is, a, he is a, 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 an object lesson that the Lord is using so that the world will know. And I, I mean it when I say for hundreds of years into the future, people are going to know how the Lord dealt with Pharaoh at the behest or at the, uh, in, in favor of his people, Israel. And this is something that becomes part of, of the lore of who these special people are. As yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Now, I don't know much about the climate of, of Egypt, but I, I don't know that hail was, a, was a, a, a huge occurrence. There might have been. I mean, I guess hail comes out of thunderstorms, and I'm sure they had them. Um, therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home and they shall die. Now get that. The Lord is giving instruction on how they can mitigate their damages as a means of them being able to demonstrate that they trust his word. He's bringing a plague upon them, but he's saying... If you're hearing me and you believe me, here's a way where you can save yourself and your livestock. And get it? Here it is in verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Isn't that just the way the Lord is with people in our time? The Lord has told us judgment's coming. The, the time is short and whether that time is short because of the, our, the duration of our mortal lives or, or that the Lord is coming for his church, we know because we hold it in our hand that the word of the Lord tells us that judgment upon the earth is coming. And if you heed and believe the word of God, you have, you have sanctuary. You have the ark, so to speak. You have the cover. You have the, the atonement of the blood of Christ. You can be shielded, protected, renewed from the blood, by the blood of Christ. This is the message of this week. And you can either heed that, be saved, or you can ignore that. And like these others, verse 21, he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. I wish parents who say things like, well, I don't want to share anything with my kids because I want them to make up their own minds. That's like leaving your, your kids in the field and to get pounded by hail. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Again, sounds very Revelation-like, doesn't it? You imagine hail and fire? Gracious. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. So their health has been decimated. Their flocks have been destroyed. 
They have been bothered in every which way. And now destruction of property, trees, probably houses. Only in the land of Goshen where, there, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. This time? Are you kidding me? The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Wow. Is that true uh, repentance? Is that true sorrow? Godly sorrow? Paul the Apostle makes a distinction, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow re- produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Which do you think Pharaoh had? Repentance means turning and going another way. Entreat the Lord, verse 28, that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord. See, again, the Lord keeps telling him, this is why it's happening. You need to know who I am. Until somebody recognizes the true and the living God, their life is a sequence of boils, dead cattle, frogs, lice, flies, hail and fire. But as for you and your servants, know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Moses is speaking prophecy here. Moses is saying, you're not fooling me, buddy. What you have going on here is worldly sorrow. You've lost a lot of property. You're very uncomfortable. And yet, well... We'll see. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So the Lord was merciful to allow these later crops to at least feed the people. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Now we look at this and we say, well, of course, this is, this is one of those stories in the Bible uh, not to be taken seriously because who would be such a fool as this guy? This is happening every single day. It has happened in every period of time in human history. This is the human heart divorced from God. Romans chapter 1 describes it so well. This is, this is where people get. Why, when we read the book of Revelation, right? And after we see a lot of these terrible judgments uh, in, the, in the trumpet judgments and whatnot, we read that after all of the tragedies, things that sound a lot like this, people yet did not cease from their sorceries, from their fornications, from their thievery, from their blasphemy. They cursed God to his face. They shook their fist in God's face. And this kind of anti-God determination is all over the place in our world right now. And, and the most frightening thing is that it has been allowed to come into the front door of our schools, our government, and heaven forbid, even our churches. We serve a mighty God. Ultimately, he will show the world that he is indeed God Almighty. 
Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for tonight. We shudder to think that any human heart could be so hard as to see the power and the might of the Lord displayed right in the midst of their very lives and yet continue to sin without remorse, without true remorse and repentance. God, let we, may we never reach a place of backsliding where our hearts would be hardened enough to be so foolish, Lord. To know the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Lord. And we desire that we would continue to grow in that wisdom because we are growing in our knowledge of you, Lord. Continue to encourage us and enlighten us and feed us through the word of God that we might know who you are, Lord, and that we might approach you with reverential awe and meekness and just take on board the oracles of God that you've provided to us in your word, Lord. Thank you so much, God, for meeting us here tonight. It's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.